Good morning, Christ Covenant Church family. My name is Tally Coughlin, and it is a joy to be with you this morning in your homes as we um, read the word together. If you haven't already done so, would you open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won with a, without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's eyes is very precious. For this is how the holy woman, who in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Tally. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ's Covenant. And it is, as Tally said, just a, a great joy and honor to be able to open God's word with you today. We continue a series that we began last week on biblical womanhood. And uh, after our, our sermon last week, we got a lot of great feedback. And it was, it was great feedback. And we, we definitely weren't surprised um, that this would be something that people would be interested in. Uh, this idea uh, of gender and the difference between the roles of men and the roles of women in the context of the society that we live in today is something that people are really confused about, something that I think people don't have a lot of clarity on. And so we really are grateful that you're engaging this conversation with us. And, and I just want to encourage you today, even as uh, we get into uh, the meat of this text. We, we are the kind of church that we want to interact with you. And so if you have questions or thoughts, please contact us with those. There's a, um, a little connect card link at the bottom of the YouTube channel that you're watching. Uh, you can also text us anytime, 678-951-9041, 678-951-9041 with questions. We actually have a, a podcast that we do where we deal with those questions. So this is such a, it's a great thing to be thinking about because as I said, there is a lot of confusion, a lot of disagreement in the culture right now over these things. It's something that oftentimes a lot of churches want to avoid in our current moment. You know, if I was preaching a series right now on Luke chapter 10, which is the, the, the story is the parable of the Good Samaritan, kind of the exhortation is to love your neighbor. And if I were preaching that passage today and my exhortation to you was, look, guys, we, we need to love our neighbors, even people of different race, people of different backgrounds, people that are different from us. God is calling us to love those people and to treat everyone equally of, of every race, of every place. Uh, you know, if I were to preach that sermon today, everybody would hear that and would kind of nod, right? Because the, the biblical value of loving your neighbor, of, of denying racism, um, of treating everyone equally, the biblical value of those things is, is, is similar to the cultural value, which would obviously want to condemn racism or condemn sort of dividing people based on these things. But if I were to preach that sermon right here in Atlanta, Georgia, 170 years ago in 1850, 
it would be one of those sermons where people would be very confused. They wouldn't know what to say. There would be a lot of contention. In fact, a lot of churches in the 19th century avoided those kinds of sermons, just like a lot of churches today avoid the kind of sermon that we're about to look at, the kind of text that we're about to look at, where the Bible gives us incredible clarity on gender, on what it means to be a man, and on what it means to be a a woman. In fact, we live in a moment where for a long time people have said that what the Bible has to say about the roles of women is is oppressive, but but here and now people even say that what the Bible has to say about manhood can be oppressive. So before we kind of get into the text today, I I maybe want to reframe the way that you uh, think about these things. As, as I said last week, I talked a lot about my lab partner. If you were here, I think that part was on repeat. Uh, we had a little technical glitch. But uh, we talked about order and how you see God's order in, in all aspects of creation. And, and what I want to say to you today is when you understand that order, when you understand God's law, far from being oppressive, far from being restrictive, it's actually the order of God that gives you freedom. It's actually the order of God that lets you understand uh, this world and flourish in this world. Uh, You know, I think a great analogy to this is the piano, right? We just heard Matt playing the piano. He's amazing, incredibly gifted at the piano. When when you watch him play the piano, it, it looks like he's just free. He's doing all these things. And you know, Matt, can on the piano, you can use the piano to play a lot of different kinds of music, right? You can play rock on a piano, you can play jazz on a piano, you can play classical music on a piano. There's all of these freedoms, you can make all these different sounds. However, you're not entirely free, in a sense, when you're playing the piano. You, you can't just get up to it and hit whatever key you want to hit and expect some sound to come out just because you, in your mind you have classical music and you're like, all right, I'm going to play some classical music. No, you, you, you actually have to understand how the piano works. You have to understand how the notes go together, how to make a chord, what music theory is. And if you understand those things, if you understand the order of the piano, well, then there's enormous freedom. There's an incredible thing that you can do on the piano and you can really make the piano sound great. And I think it's, it's the same thing in this world that God has created. There is an order. There is a design about the world. And real human flourishing and real human joy is actually found when we understand God's design. And when we understand God's purposes, just, just one more little thought before we kind of jump into the text. I, I had a friend call me this week, um, and he was dealing with a situation in his church where there was a woman in his church that had just come to faith in Christ, didn't grow up in a Christian family, and she uh, is having a little conflict with her husband. And so the church is kind of exhorting her, look, you need to get some help. We've got some resources here. We want to help you. We want to help this marriage grow stronger. But her family, her mother is divorced, her sister is divorced. And and in those divorces, they have been able to have amicable relationships with their exes. And so her mother, her sister, they're all saying, look, you know what? The marriage isn't going to make it. Just get a divorce and save the peace. Quit arguing with your husband the best thing to do is just split up and pursue an amicable relationship. And my friend said, you know, how, what would you say to this? How would you respond to this? And I say what, what, what this young woman in your congregation needs to understand is that God's purpose in marriage, God's purpose in marriage, of course God wants you to have happiness and a great relationship with your husband in marriage, but his primary purpose in marriage is not an amicable relationship between a man and a woman. 
God's primary purpose in marriage. Marriage is a design by God that actually is displaying something of his character and glory. We read in the book of Ephesians that, that marriage actually is an image of, it's a picture of the gospel as the husband pursues and sacrifices and is one with his wife and as a wife respects and honors her husband in that there, that is imaging, a marriage is imaging Christ and his love for the church. And so I said to my friend, look, she needs to understand that so much is at stake in her marriage. God didn't create marriage just so people could have easy lives or amicable lives. No, he had something in mind. He had a greater purpose in mind. He, in marriage, was desiring to display his glory. And here's the deal. It's the same thing in everything in life. You know, we have this little catechism that we're writing right now, and like many catechisms, started in the Westminster Catechism, we have a, a question of purpose. Uh, the, the old question is, what is the chief end of man? Our, our question is similar, it just says, what is man's great purpose, the great purpose of man? And it is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Your purpose, hear this, your purpose, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, God's purpose for you is that you would bring him glory, and that as you bring him glory, you would find joy in him. You would find delight in him. And this applies to every category, every part of your life, and it, and it even applies to who you are as a man and to who you are as a woman. In, in, those, in your gender, in this very specific part of you, God is actually doing something more than you may be able to perceive. And so as we look at this passage today, with those things in mind, I want to look at three things with you. First of all, a man's true calling, a man's true calling. Secondly, we see this all in this text, a woman's true beauty and influence, man's true calling, a woman's true beauty and influence, and lastly, God's true glory. And we're going to go a little bit in reverse order here. I want to kind of start by considering the end of the passage we looked at today, verse 7 as we look at a man's true calling. Now, this passage, again, to kind of step back with you, it, it, it comes within this larger context of passages about submission. One of the things that we see in God ordering the world is that there are times when we find ourselves having to submit to one another, right? We, we have to submit to governing authorities. We have to submit to our bosses and the people that have employment authority over us. Children have to submit to their parents. And, and that's always hard, right? The, the, the role of submitting to another and trusting God in that is difficult. It's a difficult thing to do. And actually, we see that reflected in this kind of larger passage. There's, there's several instructions given to those who are over someone and those who are submitting to, the, to that person. And there are always more instructions are given to the one who's submitting to say, like, this is a very difficult thing to do. You, you need to understand that, that to carry out God's design and order in this thing is going to be challenging. And so we see the same pattern here. There are more instructions to the woman who's called to submit to her husband, but there are, there are instructions to the man, to the husband. And I just want to say something in this before I jump into the text. These instructions about wives submitting to husbands are about wives submitting to husbands. So women, you are not called to submit to every man, right? Women are not called to submit to men in every institution, right? These are 
These are specific instructions that we see for the family, and then we see some instructions in other parts of the Bible about the church, where men are called uh, to be leaders in the context of a local church. We talked about that uh, a little bit last week. So the, the instructions are given to husbands and wives, specific roles that men and women are in. However, there, there are some character traits that both men and women can learn as we study these passages, whether or not you're married. And these character traits, I believe, apply uh, universally. They, they apply to how we treat one another even outside of marriage. So let me explain. Look at verse 7. Husbands, okay, husbands. Hear this, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way. So you know one of the main roles of being a husband? If you are a husband, one of your main roles is you are called to live with your wife in an understanding way. You're called, Paige and I say this when we give, do some marriage counseling, we say husbands are called to be learners. You are called to learn your wife. You have to understand your wife. You have to live with your wife in an understanding way. Now, you don't have to understand every woman, right? It's not a command to understand every woman. No, it's, it's a call to understand your wife, to seek to understand your wife and to live with her in an understanding way. But I would say here, in general, there's a principle that men should treat women with a certain level of understanding, with gentleness, with honor. Look at what it goes on to say. It says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, and so your prayers may not be hindered. Now, this is one of those passages that can get a little explosive. What does it mean? Weaker vessel. What is this saying here? The, the Greek here is asthenestero, asthenestero. And, and I think a better translation, actually, it, it says weaker here, which is certainly not inappropriate, but I, I do think a better translation is delicate. Show honor to the woman as the more delicate vessel. Uh, I, and I think, again, a, a good way to understand this is plates. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but when I was getting married, uh, Paige and I decided not to register for China because we said, well, we'll never use our China. You know, we don't need China. So we didn't register for China. Well, one day my aunt calls me up and she says, Jason, what China pattern are you getting? And I said, we didn't register for China. We're not getting China. And my aunt said, you're not getting China. And within an hour, I had gotten a call from my other aunt, my grandmother, my mother, and my sister, you know, Jason's not getting China, Jason's not getting China. The, the, the news went out, they all called me, and my mother kept saying to me, Jason, you have to get China. China is a great blessing. So finally, my mom wore me down, and uh, we ended up getting the China. Uh, and, you know, guess what? I never use the China, right? Now, Paige does sometimes, right? Paige will get out our little China cup and, and drink tea, and she'll have some friends over, and they'll use... Uh, the China. But, but here's the deal. The reason I don't use the, the China is I, it's so delicate, right? I don't trust myself with it. I don't want to break it. It's very hard to handle. It actually requires a lot of intentionality. And if you come to my house, I'm not going to get my China out and, and serve you. If you want to get something, you can eat whatever you want to in my house, but you're going to have to use the little plastic Walmart plates that I have, okay? Now, I've got some plates from Walmart. They're great. You can put them in the microwave if you want to. They can go in the dishwasher. If you want to take that Walmart plate and take it in my backyard and use it as a Frisbee, you're welcome to do that, right? 
Because that Walmart plate is like $2 from Walmart. It's a great plate. It's very functional. But here's the deal. It's very sturdy in one sense. But here's the deal. The china, though it's more delicate, though it's weaker in one sense, it's actually that delicacy that is part of its beauty. It's, it's part of its nature. It actually is the delicacy that is intertwined with how beautiful it is and, and how valuable that it is. See, this passage actually has nothing to say of value. This is not saying that women are less valuable than men in any way. In fact, you, you certainly could read into this that women are of greater value. Men treat, or husbands treat your wives as if they are of greater value. Be more careful with them. The same way that if you're using China, you would be much more careful with it than you would be with the Walmart plate. Live with your wives in an understanding way. You, you can't treat your wives like you treat other men. You have to listen to your wives. You have to understand them. And I love the exhortation here. If you don't do that, your prayers will be hindered. There's a sense here where God is telling men, if you won't listen to your wife, I won't listen to you. If you won't listen to the person that's called to be up underneath your leadership, then how do you expect me to listen to you? God has created something in our wives, in women in general, something amazing and precious, but it's different. It's different than, than manhood. And again, that's beautiful. That's part of God's beautiful design. Of course, husbands need to understand this and live with their wives in an understanding way. So that's a husband's true calling or a man's true calling. But, but secondly, and I want to spend most of our time here looking at a, a woman's true beauty and influence. Now, the context of this passage, kind of the exhortations that are given to women here, is, is interesting. It's the, it's the context that what basically where Peter's beginning here is he's saying, look, you know, if you want to really influence your husband, if your husband's not obeying the word, I think you could apply this to an unbelieving husband or to a believing husband that's being disobedient. If a husband is not obeying the word of God, how do you influence him? How do you gain influence over your husband? And I like where he goes, because the, the immediate thought is, okay, I'm a woman, I want to have influence, I know that I can get influence, especially I can get influence over men, through physical beauty, through appearance, through my outward adornment. And again, this is true of men and women. If we can put on a good outward show, people will be impressed, we will have influence, okay? And what, and what Peter is saying here is that sort of influence that sort of external adorning is not really that powerful. It's not really how you gain influence. It's not really how you change the heart of your husband or change the heart of anyone. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear. Now, again, these things are contextual. Uh, this is not the Bible saying you can't braid your hair or wear gold jewelry. I don't even think in... Uh, Peter's day here, he's giving a prohibition against these things. What he is saying is, they're not that valuable. They're not where your identity is. They're, they're, a great external appearance is not really what's going to influence the world and change the heart of anyone, particularly your husband. But again, I think if, if we were looking at this today, there may be some other things. Uh, you know, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, maybe these aren't the things that really tempt you as a woman to kind of show your external appearance in these ways. So let me, let me kind of give you a little bit of a modern um, translation of this. 
So, so hear this. Don't let your adorning be external. Ladies, don't let your adorning be external. Don't find your value in the things that people can see. The company that you work for, the car that you drive, the school that your children attend, your Instagram story, right? Beware of these things. Beware of finding your value in these things. Verse 4, but let your adorning, let what gives you value be the hidden person of the heart. And I love this, with the imperishable beauty, the beauty that never fades, of a gentle and quiet spirit. And here's the, one of the most important phrases. This is what we all should desire, which in God's sight is very precious. You see what Peter's doing here? You see what's happening here? He's saying, look, you, you think you're going to gain influence by external appearances, right? Because everybody cares about what things look like on the outside. He says, but I tell you where you really gain influence. I'll tell you what's really powerful is when you have a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, what does that mean, right? Are women just supposed to sit there quietly? Is that what Peter's talking about? Well, I think there's a clue here. I think it's interesting that he ends the passage uh, down in six, where he says, if you do not fear anything that is frightening, right? So he kind of anchors this in a sense of courage or poise that godly women should have, a gentle and quiet spirit. This is one who's not frantic. This is one who isn't always manipulating the situation so that she can be in control. They, they have poise. She trusts in the Lord. Peter is saying, you, you want influence? You want your husband to really listen to you? It's with a gentle and quiet spirit. Let me give you a couple of definitions here, what I think the Bible's talking about here. It says, a gentle and quiet spirit. This is a person who is at peace and not frantic, right? They're not always, they're not always frazzled when something doesn't go their way, when something is a little off. They're, they're at peace. A gentle and quiet spirit is respectful of others and not manipulative. Women, I think this is a sin tendency that many women try to have, is they try to manipulate an appearance. They try to manipulate an outward appearance, and they believe that strength is found there. Beware of this. This is not a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit is humble, not needing the affirmation of others, not needing the constant praise of others, right? Not needing always somebody to like your status or to tell you that you're doing great. Again, those things are nice. Again, I, I love affirmation. We all love affirmation. But a, but a gentle and quiet spirit is one that, that doesn't thrive off of that. It, it, it realizes that it is pleasing in the sight of God. A gentle and quiet spirit is courageous, right? Not fearful. This is going to get you a lot further than external appearances. External appearances, again, initially very impressive, right? Everybody notices it. Even, even the most godly person is aware of external appearances. But what really pleases God is the imperishable beauty that comes from a gentle and quiet spirit. And then he anchors this argument in the women of old. Look at verse 5. It says, This is how the holy women of old who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, this is a fascinating passage, right? 
I want to say something. A lot of times people get a little confused with Bible characters, people in the Bible, as if they're supposed to be some great anchor of morality. And there are many things about people like Abraham or Jacob or David or whoever that are incredibly commendable, right? So a lot of these folks that we read about in the Old Testament, they were great folks and they had many commendable qualities, but they also had qualities that are not commendable. They also had many qualities that we should avoid. And and Abraham, uh, in so many ways, was not a model of what it meant to be a great husband. In fact, on two different occasions, Abraham lied about his wife, who his wife was. He said that she was his sister. He allowed his wife to be abducted by Pharaoh. And then later, he did it again. He allowed his wife to be abducted by another king, Abimelech, okay? So he's not taking care of her. He's wrong to do this. In many ways, Abraham is not a model husband. And and what's interesting about this passage, if this were, as some would say, a passage about putting people down or about putting wives down, then Peter would have gone to one of these illustrations if he was going to use Abraham. He would say, husbands, you know, be like Abraham, who did whatever he wanted to with Sarah and manipulated the situation for his own good. But that's not, that's not what he's referencing. That's not what he's talking about here. Where Sarah called Abraham Lord, what, what Peter is recognizing in her is actually this very subtle place in Genesis 18. It's, it's when God appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre, and when she hears, this is when God is saying that, that Abraham and Sarah were going to have a baby, even though they were very old. And we read in Genesis 18, 12, when she hears this, when she hears that she is going to have a child, even though she's very, very old, she, it says, this is a famous passage, Genesis 18, 12, Sarah laughed to herself, right? You remember this passage of Sarah laughing? It says she laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, Shall I have pleasure? What's interesting about this passage, what's interesting that Peter uses this, is it's not even really that important in the text. It's, it's not the story about Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Now he's anchoring this theological argument. This is how a woman should have a posture, this respectful posture toward her husband. He's anchoring this, this argument in kind of a passing comment in something that's just happening. It's just a part of her posture. She's just having this posture of respect toward Abraham. And I want to say this again, even though at so many places, again, there's many good things to say about Abraham, but in so many places, Abraham is not a model husband. She has reason to not respect him and not honor him. And yet it is her posture to do so, to call him Lord, to show him respect and honor this gentle and quiet spirit. This is what Peter is saying. This is what the woman of old had. And this is what you should have. So before we move on, I kind of want to just give different, a couple of different groups here, some application. Wives, a gentle and quiet spirit. This is not passivity, okay? I'm not calling you to passivity here. To show your husband respect And to trust God as you follow your husband is not passive. It's actually incredibly active. (laughs) It's actually incredibly hard to do. You won't naturally be peaceful 
and respectful and humble and courageous, right? These aren't things that naturally will come to you. You will more naturally be frantic and manipulative and needing praise and fearful. Those are the things that more naturally come to you. The only way you get this gentle and quiet spirit, which is pleasing in the sight of God, is by being with God. It's by pursuing the Lord. It's by trusting in the gospel. And, and loving the Lord and spending time with him, abiding with him in times of prayer and in Bible study. But also, and I believe this, by seeking out kind of the modern day women of old. You know, you can't go hang out with Abraham's wife, Sarah. But, but who are the women that you can learn from and look to? Who, who are our kind of modern day women of old that we can emulate, that we can be their daughters that's a great question to ask. Again, it may not be the person that you first recognize, right? It may not be the person with the most impressive external appearance. But who are the women, even here at Christ's Covenant? And you know, if, you, if you're curious, hey, who are some women that I really should look to? Ask me. I'll tell you, here's some women that really have a gentle and quiet spirit, that have a poise about them, that have a courage about them, that have a humility about them. And, 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 and when truth be known, they're the women that everybody listens to and that looks to, and that honors. This is how you actually have influence. This is precious in the sight of God. And look, as I said before, I think this applies both if you have an unbelieving husband or if you have a believing husband that's just disobeying. You want to have influence in his life? Pursue having a gentle and quiet spirit. You know, one author said this. I love this, especially encouraging for you believing ladies. If a gentle and quiet spirit, if this kind of attitude can influence, can win over an unbelieving husband, think about how much more impact it can have on a believing husband. You really want to impact your husband? Pursue these things. Be this way. It'll take time, but trust the Lord through it. These things are precious in the sight of God. You know, this was a great kind of sermon for me to think about. Um, And just think about how blessed I am to have a a wife in Paige who so exhibits this gentle and quiet spirit. And and as I just was even thinking about our 11 years of marriage, the the way that she has most impacted me, it's not necessarily in your arguments or in these things that she says. I I have to listen to her and listen to these things. But no, it's in her faith. It's by observing her, by, by watching her follow the Lord. That's what's impacted me the most. That's what's convicted me the most. That's what's won me over the most. It's when she's not frantic. It's when she's not manipulative. It's when she's not fearful. These are the things that, that move me, that have shaped me, have impressed me. So wives, pursue this gentle and quiet spirit. It will give you great influence over your husbands. And more importantly, it will be pleasing in the sight of God. But second application is to single woman. Single women. This is a great passage for single women. Obviously, this is, it's directed at wives, but this character, this character of a gentle and quiet spirit, it's, it's, it should be true of all of us. It should be true of both men and women. And, and single women in particular, I just want to say to my, my sisters in Christ who are single, outward appearance is, is a great temptation for you, right? Because everybody notices outward appearance, right? And just when you start to feel like you're looking kind of good, there's always the new girl that comes along, right? And everybody's kind of interested in her for a while. And, and, and you can get caught in this trap 
to think, man, what I need to, to work on, what, what needs to be good of me is how I present myself, what is true on the outside, because that's what folks are going to notice. This, this inward stuff, how am I ever going to meet somebody? Nobody's ever going to notice these things. And I just want to say, uh, as you understand this, as you pursue a gentle and quiet spirit, not only will you grow in godliness, not only will you grow, will you be more attractive in the sight of God, you'll actually grow in your peace. You won't be so concerned with what's going on on the outside. You won't be so concerned when the new girl shows up. You'll, you'll have this inner poise, this inner peace. You'll, you'll get an identity on the inside that is incredibly powerful and this incredibly pleasing in the sight of God. I just want to say this. If you're single, and I know so many single ladies here, and you, and you want to be married, if you pursue a gentle and a quiet spirit, in total, fewer guys may be interested in you. Okay, I'll be honest. If, if your pursuit is a gentle and quiet spirit, and not necessarily the external adorning, and again, you can, it's, it's, it's fine to, to look good and to, you know, to, you know, go shopping. The Bible's not calling us to be ugly here. But as your pursuit is not necessarily how you're presenting yourself externally, but who you are internally, a gentle and quiet spirit before the Lord, fewer guys in total may be interested in you, but more of the kinds of guys that you need to be interested, that should be interested in you, will be interested in you. Just trust me in this. You know, it always shocks me about how many of our single ladies justify dating someone that they would never want to submit to in marriage, that they cannot follow as a spiritual leader. Why would you date someone like that? It shows that you have bought into a worldly narrative, that you are seeking the approval of men and not the approval of God. Are you pursuing what is precious in the eyes of the world? Or are you pursuing what is precious in the eyes of God? Pursue what God is calling to you, what is precious in his sight, a gentle and quiet spirit. Again, if you, if you do this, you, you may have fewer in total guys that are interested in you, but you'll have more of the right kinds of guys, the guys that can really lead you, the guys that you will want to submit to someday. Those are the kind of guys that will see that in you and will desire that. And then thirdly, I've talked to, to wives, I've talked to single women. The last thing, the last group I want to talk to is single men. Look, I'm a guy, okay? Look, I understand the appeal of a beautiful woman. And it's, it's very easy to obviously notice the external adorning of women. And we were talking in staff, uh, our staff kind of meeting this week about the Christian Barbie doll complex, right? You know, we, we want a godly girl, but we want her to be really, really beautiful too. And I, I just want to say to you men, let me challenge you men on this. A lot of times, part of who you're trying to get as a girlfriend or who you think you need to have as a girlfriend or as a future wife has a lot to do with your external adorning, okay? And not the things that really please the Lord. You know, th there may be a girl that you are attracted to, but you think to yourself, you know, is she gonna be a trophy enough for me? Is, are people gonna recognize her? You're, you're getting yourself some more external adorning for yourself rather than pursuing the kind of girl that God really loves. So the question that I would ask for you, brothers, is this. Who, who are the girls that God is most pleased with? Who are the girls that have the character qualities that really are precious in the sight of God? 
shouldn't you desire the same girls that God is pleased with, right? Is, is, is that standard too, too low for you? And again, obviously you want a, a woman that you're attracted to, but, but is your attraction wrapped up in some image of yourself with this trophy wife? Or is, it, or is your attraction really wrapped up in finding a woman that God loves, that God finds attractive? Does this woman have a gentle and quiet spirit that is pleasing to God? That's the kind of question you should be asking. Again, outward appearances, initially, that'll get your attention. Everybody loves somebody who looks pretty on the outside. But here's what the text says. A gentle and quiet spirit, it's imperishable beauty. It's beauty that doesn't fade. In fact, it's beauty that gets greater and greater and greater. So we've talked about a man's true calling a woman's true beauty and influence. But last thing I want to close with is God's true glory. You know, I started this sermon saying that our understanding of gender and marriage actually is reflective of the glory of God. It has everything to do with how we glorify God. The primary purpose of these things, again, is not just our comfort or our enjoyment. Rather, it is God's glory. So I, I want to end particularly with just a, an exhortation of my sisters in Christ here. As you submit to your husbands, as you pursue this gentle and quiet spirit, do you know that you're actually reflecting Christ? Did you realize that? When you find yourself honoring God by submitting to the man that God has called to lead your family, when you find yourself pursuing married women and single women, pursuing a gentle and quiet spirit, you're acting like God acts here. You're acting like Jesus acts. You're, you're displaying something of the nature of Christ. The, the thing about our Lord Jesus, and this is something you have to understand, he is fully God. In essence, in nature, he is the Lord. He is the second person of the Trinity. There, there is no skill or value that the Father has that the Son does not have. He is all-powerful, almighty, all-eternal in the same the same nature, the same essence, the same substance as the Father, yet the Son, Jesus, submits to the Father. In the nature of the Trinity, this perfect relationship, Jesus finds himself in this role of trusting his Father's lead, of coming underneath the will of his Father. I love the way Philippians 2 describes this. This is, I just, I love the, this is from the New Living Bible. I just love the way it said it. It says, though he was God, Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. I love another translation says, as something to use for his own advantage. Instead, he gave up his privileges and he took the humble position of a servant and he was born as a human being. He appeared in human form and he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. And as he's done this, as Jesus has submitted to the Father's will in this, submitted to the Father's lead in this, what happens? The Father is glorified and the Son is glorified. It says, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth should bow and every tongue should declare that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the Trinity, 
as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are all equally God, understand that God has an order there. That, that, that even God, that even in their godness, they understand their own order. They bring glory to themselves. They, they exude glory. And I just want to say this, husbands and wives, as you live out this ordering that God has put in place, there is light, there is joy, there is glory in that. But we also see a, a certain Christ-likeness even in the gentle and quiet spirit that women, and really all of us, men too, this, this, is, this gentle and quiet spirit is, is a character that should just be true of any God follower. It's a humility. It's a trust. But it also is like our Lord Jesus. Look at Matthew 11. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here's, listen to these words. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Almost the same words. The gentle is the exact same word. And lowly, the word for lowly and quiet are very similar. Lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear this description of our Lord Jesus? Gentle and humble. Gentle and, and quiet, if you will. And again, this is the whole context of the passage we read in 1 Peter 3. He's just come off of a description of the humility of Jesus. He's anchoring this argument in the character of Jesus. So I just want to close, ladies, when you are like this, when you pursue this character, when you submit to your husband, don't you see you're actually a lot like Jesus? Submitting to your husband, pursuing a gentle and a quiet spirit is actually one of the most Christ-like things you can do. If you've bought into the world's narrative that says your value comes from external appearances, you will reject this. You will not like this, right? The world's narrative that says individualism and external appearance is everything, that's where your value is found, this makes no sense. But if you really want to bring glory to God, if you've been wrapped up in the gospel, if, if you found salvation and victory in the one who humbled himself on your behalf, then you can actually find a lot of life in this. These verses won't be so oppressive. They'll actually be inviting. They'll be freeing. They'll bring you joy. They'll, they'll, they'll give you a mission. You can be like Christ here. As he is gentle, as he is humble, as he honors his father, so can you. And again, I just want to say, husbands, there is a calling to us in this too. These are not the Bible never gives us some sort of pass of patriarchy. You know, this, this leadership that we are called to is, is a sacrificial leadership. It is a hard leadership. It is a loving leadership. But in all of this, something of the character of our Lord is reflected. And Jesus is glorified. So let's look to him and let him be glorified in our lives, and as we do look to him, let's find joy in this good order that he has set forward. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the helpfulness of it, for the beauty of it. I pray, Father, that we um, as a church family um, would be different than the order of this world that is consumed by outward appearances, that is consumed uh, by making themselves look good outwardly, externally, Lord. Those things, again, immediately 
that we all uh, can be susceptible to, but, but I pray that we would be the kind of people that hold precious to us what is precious to you, that find value in the, the things that, that you say are valuable, that we delight in the same kinds of things that you delight in. So Lord, may this be true of us as we look to Christ, who is our Savior, and who has come to be even our advocate and friend. And we pray this in his name, for his sake. Amen. So as we close today, I know Blake uh, mentioned this at the beginning of the service, that we're going to be taking communion together. And I just want to say, you know, taking communion together, what does that even mean? We're not in the same room. Um, we're spread out all over the city. It's kind of awkward. We've even talked about this as an elder body. It, it is a... Uh, you know, are we really even doing communion? In, in one sense, I would say yes. In one sense, no. I mean, are we really gathering right now? Well, in one sense, yes. In one sense, no. Um, but these are still graces to us. And, and, and simultaneously, as we take this together right now, in a, a solemn way, in a humble way, in a grateful way, um, I, I believe that in this, it will, it will be a grace to you and it, it will be pleasing to the Lord. So I invite you, if you're a believer right now, if you're not a believer watching, if you haven't trusted in Christ, uh, the Lord's Supper, you may have seen people do this before, but it's, it's really not for you. Um, and so, you know, you just won't participate in this part. It'll just kind of sit there and, and, and I'm so glad that you're watching. I'm so glad that you're here. But if you are a believer, this is a grace to us as believers. It's a way for us to kind of enter back into this story where we find our identity. It's a way for us to remember that Jesus has actually come and taken our place on a cross. That, that he died in our place, that he's given his life for us so that we could have life in him. It's a way for us to remember that we're not alone, right? Again, it's, it's kind of weird for us to take this, but hopefully you're not totally alone right now. Hopefully you're watching this with family members, maybe some friends who are believers. And as you take this community together, you can look around and say, you know what? These are people that are trusting Christ just as I am. And we also... We look forward when we take this meal. We look forward to the day that we'll actually be eating and drinking with, with Christ, that our hope is physical, right? Our hope is not some sort of spiritual, ethereal thing. No, our hope is that one day we will have life with the Lord. And this is a reminder to us of that. So let's be faithful in this life. Let's be faithful in all the things God's called us to in this life, to please Him. So Jordan and uh, are just incredible. I mean, we are so gifted. I, I've so loved uh, our music today. And, but they're going to lead us in a song. You can be during that time gathering these elements. Then I'll come back up. We'll take the elements together in this virtual sense. Uh, and then uh, we'll have a little bit more worship before we close. So uh, Jordan, as Jordan leads, please be gathering your elements, be preparing your heart uh, to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a few moments.